I did I did some numbers on them. I mean, look, the characterization of the bank results is that they're they're weak. Uh, the yeah. second half of the financial year uh, was weaker half on half than the first half. So clearly, the market is starting to say, okay, well, um, competition is starting to bite. Uh, higher interest rates are probably constraining credit growth. Uh, in many ways, and and because there's less mortgages to write, the banks are really competing for those mortgages. So yeah. that's all starting to to have an effect on their on their profitability. And when I did these numbers, and this is based on consensus earnings estimates for FY24, so the the, the current financial year mm-hmm. for Commonwealth Bank or the financial year that all the other banks have just just now starting. Um, and interestingly, the banks look cheap. Uh, so just hold that thought for a moment. Hello and welcome back to another episode of What's Not Priced In. Greg, welcome back. Uh, it was nice to see you yesterday. Everyone met up, uh, but now again, you're back in Sydney. I'm back in Melbourne. Uh, I guess I wanted to just maybe jump straight into it and talk about the biggest news of the week, which was the US inflation data. And there was only 10 basis points in it. Uh, headline inflation was 10 basis points better than expected. Uh, but that was all it took. And US stocks rallied and that sort of had an effect on Australian stocks as well. So should we be popping the champagne bottles? Is this euphoria or do we need maybe to be a bit more cautious and sip more water instead of champagne? Yeah, more water than champagne. I think we, okay. you know, we've been speaking about uh, the condition of the market from a psychological perspective over the past couple of weeks and, uh, and and talking about that really oversold condition we got in October and uh, the market was obviously looking looking to bounce and it has been doing that over the past couple of weeks and this is just another bit of good news uh, from the market's perspective and has underwritten the rally and I think you know it's not necessarily the inflation data itself yeah. that's of interest right it's like the, the market's reaction to it yeah. and then you can uh, by looking at some of the different sectors and how they've performed is trying to build a bit of a picture around what that means, what the market's starting to price in, uh, what it's hoping for out of this. And I think we've spoken previously about the way that the market adjusts based on these inflation numbers. And and if inflation is better than expected, the market thinks, okay, soft landing, no landing, uh, inflation is tamed without there being, uh, without putting a hole in the economy in order to do that. So it's certainly taking a view that this is um, this is a positive falling inflation. It's got because the economy uh, apparently is still quite strong in the US. So the market is really celebrating the fact that this takes the pressure off the Fed uh, to have to continue tightening rates. And there is always a knee jerk from the market whenever. The Fed goes on hold and pauses, uh, and whenever the Fed delivers its first rate cut in in a cycle, the market always celebrates that and and rallies. My caution would be around uh, the, I guess, the participation in the rally, and especially in the Aussie market. I thought that was quite. We'll go through some charts to show you, but I thought the Aussie market was quite interesting. The way it reacted, obviously, it was a really good day uh, yesterday. We're recording this on Thursday uh, at about 1.30. Uh, and obviously, that big rally occurred on Wednesday, Aussie trading time. So we'll have a look at the, the different market reaction. But generally in the US, you know, it's it's just continuing that um, the bullishness that we've seen over the past couple of weeks. So perhaps we'll just um, go through and have a, a, a look at a couple of the 
couple look at a couple of the charts just to give viewers a sense of uh, what um, you know how things look technically after that after that data come out and it's quite obvious um, from this this is the s p 500 um, and again I'll put on the RSI just to give everyone an indication of here very oversold and now we've gone up into overbought territory very quickly so um, next week I think I've been on the road this week traveling to and from Melbourne a couple of times and haven't got together um, the what would you call it? the sentiment data so you know who's bullish who's bearish uh, we'll take another look at the fear and greed index I might get some of those together next week um, because I think the the bullish readings will have changed a lot after that CPI data. I think it's probably turned a lot of people into, they don't want to miss the rally, so they're jumping on board. But here we are, we're very overboard again from a, from a short-term perspective. So you would expect that we would get a bit of a, a pullback from here. So this is the S&P 500. But when you, um, when you look at the S&P 500 on an equal weight basis, and we showed this last week, uh, the difference between the S&P 500, which obviously includes a larger weighting to the, the the mag seven the big tech stocks whereas this is an equal weight index and from this perspective even though we've had a nice rally from the the october late october sell-off um you can still see this is in a pretty decent downtrend here and it's sort of coming up into these moving averages which are uh trend trending lower so if we start to bump into some resistance here um again i don't think it's it's reason to get too excited uh, the NASDAQ is obviously looking uh, pretty good. It never actually turned down in terms of these moving averages, um, which is just a proxy for a medium-term trend, mm -hmm. the 50 and 100-day moving averages that I look at. So we're not too far off the, uh, the July highs. Um, so all this sort of selling has been reversed really quickly. In my view, that's often characterized or that's how bear markets trade sometimes. You get bear market rallies that are really, really sharp panic everyone back into the market and then that runs out of puff and turns back down so again here you're in overbought territory now so you'd expect to see some selling uh, and this is the small cap uh, fund the iShares Russell 2000 looks still looks I mean it's had it had a nice nice pop there on that CPI data but still looks pretty weak uh, from this longer term perspective. So I'm not seeing anything there that's too exciting uh, in, in terms of longer term stuff. We mentioned last week we are in a seasonally strong part of the market. So, it, you know, the market can continue to rally or at least hold up um, at these levels and, and keep getting buying support. And then when we hear uh, the cliche about the Santa Claus rally, that might be time to, to fade that one. But at the moment, it still looks like there's a decent amount of uh, buying interest in the market. Let's have a quick look at the Aussie market here. Again, we had this breakdown into the October lows where we got oversold. Now heading back up into probably more of a resistance area here. So I'd, I'd expect that to see some selling and we're getting that today actually uh, that's not showing up on, on these charts. Um, but what I found interesting, and we'll talk about the banks in a minute, but what I found interesting is that the banks didn't really participate in this rally. Uh, too much and and you would think that if this was a rally that is translating into uh, more of a benign market environment you know the banks have really got to be involved in that given that they are yeah. such a large part of the Aussie economy and that didn't happen so this makes me think this is more of a selective rally based on for example um, these are the, the property trusts and we've spoken before about property trusts being 
you know, a good contrarian bet in the market purely because they were, um, you know, in the news for so long from a, from a negative perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at this chart, I'll just pull it back a little bit, but we've seen this big pullback here into a low. Uh, it's bounced up. It's gone down and tested that low and, and rallied off it very significantly. So um, I've been adding uh, property uh, trusts or real estate investment trusts to my client portfolio over the last few months. Um, and, you know, that's on the basis of these things being pretty cheap, oversold, uh, contrarian um, investment ideas and this move away from here. It's not sort of, you know, suggesting we're going into a new bull market anytime soon, but this rally from these lows is, is pretty encouraging. Clearly it's in overbought territory now. I'd expect that to, to correct over the next few weeks. And, um, you know, again, not saying that these stocks are going to any going into any major bull market, but they are cheap and, and they're offering good divvy yields as well. So that might be something to look into. And just on the uh, small odds, uh, this is still in a similar way to the ASX 200. Still got a bit of work to do before it gets back into sort of uptrend, upward trending territory. Um, so the conclusion, Kirill, is that uh, I'd say most stocks or, or markets are just reacting to this news, short covering, lots of people jumping on board because they don't want to miss uh, what they think might be another leg up in the market. Um, but it comes down to the fact that you know the Fed is probably on hold, and that yes. doesn't mean they're t- they're um, going to cut monetary policy anytime soon. Uh, there is still the lagged impacts of previous rate hikes to come through. There is still the fact that we've spoken about the equity risk premium on stocks is very very thin. So there's many reasons just to think, okay, this is a this is a nice little rally. Uh, it could continue, uh, but again, focusing on the particular stocks that might be worth buying rather than getting excited about the overall market, which I think will will continue to struggle uh, for the for the time being. So um, we'll go back to some other charts later. But yeah, I'm not sure what your um, what your views well, I actually are. Had a, I had a had a quick question based on what you just said. Um, did the stock the, did the US stock reaction surprise you with the data? Because we always talk on the podcast that the market always looks ahead. So clearly, this wasn't really a surprise. We sort of already knew that inflation is coming down, especially in the US. The US Fed is probably a bit ahead of its peers in terms of cooling inflation, given yep. how high it raised rates. So I think the market really should have expected that inflation was always going to cool. So was this really a surprise? Why did the stocks rally so much? Why is it? Because well, I think it was maybe- a surprise, yeah. And and that's why you've seen such yeah. a large move. I mean, the market has probably spent the last couple of months built buying this idea that the Fed is hawkish; it's higher for longer. There's not going to be interest rate cuts for a long time. Inflation is persistent. Uh, services inflation is sticky. All these uh, terms that we've been hearing for months, the market has 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 priced that in and and yeah. so they were pricing in probably more of a um at least uh inflation rate that came in on expectations rather than below yeah. expectations um so all the implications of a below expectation inflation rate means that now the market is very quickly um priced out any probability of another rate hike and they've started to price in rate cuts again in 2024. So it'll be interesting to see from that whether the Fed and the various speakers are going to come out in the next couple of weeks really sort of saying, hey, you got this wrong. We're not not anywhere near um, 
uh, cutting interest rates uh, yet, and and that, and they've done that before. You know, the market has priced in uh, rate cuts. Mm-hmm. I think they pro- might have been at the start of the year pricing in a rate cut for late. 2023 and the fed got that out of the out of the system and and pretty much jawboned financial tightening uh, into the markets and obviously we've seen a, a loosening in conditions over the last week uh, so the fed will probably come back and and try to talk that talk that down a little bit as well until we see genuine signs of mm-hmm. uh, of, of say weak uh, employment numbers so we're not not seeing that yet so the fed will probably continue to stay tough yeah so I expect more draw boning from from the Fed. And do you think this will make their job harder given now that the market is sort of anticipating rate hikes are come I mean rate cuts are coming sooner than later? Yeah, or absolutely makes their job hard. I mean they all they want to do is to say, look, we're not raising rates. We're not raising rates. Don't get excited. <laughs> because we we've spoken about this before. The Fed has a limited ability to influence financial conditions, and that is through the federal funds rate. Um, and it is through communication policy. So the Fed funds rate has an effect on shorter term interest rates, Mm -hmm. but that one bit of data that came out um, saw bond yields fall significantly. So that Barron's uh, headline that we showed a couple of weeks ago, that's not looking so good now. And I was breathing a sigh of relief, but uh, maybe, you know, it's not necessarily over for the, uh, for the bond, Mm -hmm. uh, the bond bears or the bond bulls, whichever, um, uh, side of the coin you want to take that on. I've been bullish on bonds. I think the interest rate um, situation has got to a point where it's offering good long-term returns. And if we do see this easing of inflation, if we do see slowing economic growth, I think bonds should uh, should do quite well as part of a diversified portfolio. So um, the magazine indicator cover there, we might have to ditch Barron's and just stick with The Economist and, uh, exactly. and, and ones like that. Yeah. It's a bit hard with the contrarian indicators because there's not that many finance magazines. I think it's just Barron's, Economist, and maybe uh, Bloomberg's Business Week. So there's not many samples to choose from. But I did sort of want to get your take on another data point that was released uh, on the same day as the US inflation data, and that was the Aussie wage price index. It was less exciting, but I do wonder if it maybe matters more for the Australian market than the US inflation. So the ABS said that the wage price index rose 1.3% in the September quarter and 4% for the year. And that was the highest quarterly growth in the 26 year history of that index. And in terms of annual growth at 4%, that was the highest annual increase for the index since March quarter 2009. Uh, So my question to you is, is this data point more significant than the US inflation data, or are they maybe equally insignificant? Uh, well, I think, you know, globally, obviously the US number is the, the most important one. Uh, the Aussie wage data, I haven't had a look at the detail of it, but I'm, I've, I've, I'm thinking that it may have included the, um, uh, the minimum wage hike, which mm-hmm. was quite yeah. significant. And I think that's probably influenced that number as well. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily, even though it was a large number, I don't, think it was necessarily unexpected. I think the market thought that that probably was going to be a big number if it included those uh, those wage uh, minimum uh, pay increases that are, that are now flowing through. So not a huge difference, although today uh, we're seeing the market sell off, mm-hmm. I think, on the back of that employment number. The employment numbers are still strong in Australia. But month to month, they can move around quite a yeah. bit. Um, so overall, we are seeing a bit of a slowing in employment growth, but certainly not enough uh, to have the the RBA 
talking about you know pausing i think they'll still maintain a a hawkish stance and that'll keep keep and then that's another reason going back to what we're talking about at the start you know is this rally uh is this rally sustainable i think the the central banks will try to cap this for the time being because Mm -hmm. they're not they're not ready to cut rates. You need to visibly see signs of economic weakness before they're going to turn around and, and cut cut rates. And if you look at past histories of rate cutting cycles, the market doesn't bottom until well into the rate cutting cycle. So the market will fall alongside uh, rate cuts purely because the rate cuts are trying to catch up with the economic deterioration that the prior rate hiking cycle uh, has caused. Um, so yeah, that's just something to think of rate cuts. Uh, there's always a positive reaction, knee jerk reaction in the short term, but longer term, the history shows that, um, the rate cutting cycle is actually bearish for, for the stock market. So, uh, the soft landing, no landing crowd will really hope that we are soft, no landing and that, that fed actually stays with high, higher interest rates because the cutting cycle mm-hmm. will suggest that the economy is slowing down sharply. Yeah. Yeah, I think obviously the RBA or the Fed, they're not going to come out and say we will cut rates in X amount of months because if they do that, given how inflation, I mean, expectations work, people are just going to act as if those rate cut, cuts are already here and that's counterproductive to what the central Absolutely. banks They'll do. be doing the opposite, mate. They'll be, exactly. they'll be saying that we're not in any way thinking about uh, exactly. rate cuts and if inflation rears its head again we'll be hiking rates again so that they'll be maintaining that bias for some time i think yeah which is a it's an interesting way to 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 run the economy where people that you can't really say what you mean because it could be a bit of a it could the art of banking exuberant (laughs) well i think maybe now we could move to the the big four aussie banks obviously a lot of them have reported this week uh, results have largely been in line with expectations, but I know that you've run some valuations on them. And uh, so, what's the what is the market pricing in, and is that a bit, maybe a bit overvalued in your view? Well, let's have a look. First of all, what I always like to do is look at the the charts and the reaction to mm-hmm. the news. So we had um, the three Aussie banks, the NAB, Westpac, and ANZ. They all have a September financial year end and Commonwealth Bank has a June uh, financial year end. So Commonwealth Bank's already reported for FY23 and uh, it just put out a a third quarter trading update um, alongside the other banks with their uh, annual reports. So that only came out just this week. And as you can see, I'll just zoom in here. Uh, Share price fell for NAB based on its, its result. Uh, fell and then has rallied a little bit for for Westpac, but nothing, you know, no real sort of surprises there. ANZ ANZ was actually up um, close to these sort of levels of where it's been trying to break out from from a while. Sold sold off sharply on its results. Uh, CBA it's actually gone up a little bit since it come out with that third quarter update. So from a broad perspective, you look at the look at the banks, and I'll just sort of mm-hmm. we'll just go through. The banks aren't really looking all that strong from a charting perspective. So this was the big recovery from COVID uh, and that recovery peaked in April, 2022. Big sell-off as the interest rate rises, the market started to price those in, rebounded back up here, sold off again uh, into into these lows, which is, you know, it looks like an interesting, uh, interesting sort of accumulation slash support line. uh, And it looks like it's rolling over here again for, Mm. for NAB. Uh, similarly weak looking chart for Westpac, you know, potentially even even weaker 
Um, it's just been trending sideways downwards uh, for, for some time. Uh, ANZ looks like it's trying to sort of bust through this area. And if it can do that, I think it moves pretty quickly uh, up to those levels. Uh, and CBA has just been really consolidating in this broad range for, for quite some time. So you're right, I did I did some numbers on them. I mean, look, the, the uh, characterization of the bank results is that they're, they're weak. Uh, the second half of the financial year uh, was weaker half on half than the first half. So clearly the market is starting to say, okay, well, um, competition is starting to bite. Uh, higher interest rates are probably constraining credit growth uh, in many ways. And, and because there's less mortgages to write, the banks are really competing for those mortgages. So yeah. that's all starting to, to have an effect on their, on their profitability. Uh, and if we just look at, um, so that the valuation and, and what I look at with valuations uh, is uh, return on equity, mm-hmm. uh, how much of the uh, earnings the bank is paying out versus how much it's reinvesting, uh, and then obviously there's a discount rate that you use to discount those earnings. And for big, uh, larger companies, I, I generally use an 8% discount rate. And when I did these numbers, and this is based on consensus earnings estimates for FY24, so the, the, the current financial year mm-hmm. for Commonwealth Bank or the financial year that all the other banks are just, just now starting. Um, and interestingly, the banks look cheap. Uh, so just hold that thought for a moment. The banks look okay. cheap from a valuation perspective. So for NAB, for example, my uh, estimate of value uh, is around thirty dollars, um, and the price is trading at around twenty-seven eighty-one. My estimate of value for ANZ uh, is around twenty-eight fifty, um, and the price is twenty-four dollars. So we got you know both. Those are uh, intrinsic value estimates, and I stress their estimates only. They can change all the time. Uh, the price is below my estimate of value. For Westpac, um, I get a value of $23.90, and it's trading at $21.20, roughly. So all three of those banks are trading below uh, an estimate of value. The only bank that is well above my estimate of value uh, is Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. My valuation comes in around $82 and it's trading at $102. So um, wow. essentially uh, the market has said the other bank's earnings are more risky than Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the market has a lot more confidence in Commonwealth hitting its numbers uh, and that's why investors are prepared to accept a lower uh, return from investing in a, in a uh, bank like um, CBA. So they're probably pricing CBA on a discount rate of maybe something yeah. like 7% rather than the 8% that I'm looking yeah. at for, for the bank. So the next question is, why are the banks cheap? Why do they look cheap? And I think, mm-hmm. and this is where you really need to use some nuance with valuation tools. And just because you get a number doesn't mean you all of a sudden say, oh, okay, well, that's I value this higher than what uh, yep. the share price is, therefore it's a buy. You have to say to yourself, okay, what is the market pricing in or what is the market seeing that I'm not? And often when you when you gather consensus analyst estimates, analysts tend to be more optimistic than what they should be when the cycle is turning down. Mm-hmm. And just from last week, uh, earnings estimates for all the banks have been ratcheted lower because of the weak results that they that they all delivered. So the market is saying, we think analyst projections are too high and we think that earnings are going to continue to come down 
in in 2024 as higher interest rates bite. Mm-hmm. That would be a view that I would share, um, which is why when it comes to the banks, even though they look reasonably good value, and if you look through the divi yields as well, you're getting yeah. NAB's paying a, a forecast dividend yield of 5.9%, ANZ's forecast dividend yield is 6.4%, uh, Westpac's 6.7%, and CBA obviously lower um, at four point four percent, and that's a reflection of its higher higher price relative to its mm-hmm. earnings. So you're getting you're getting a decent divi yield, uh, but as an investor, I want to buy the banks when they're looking quite ugly, when their credit provisioning uh, mm-hmm. is quite high, um, and off and when credit provisioning is quite high, that artificially depresses earnings in the short term. When the market prices that in. That's a that's a good generally a good long term uh, buying opportunity. So I think I think the banks are still some way away from from being sort of genuinely contrarian uh, buying opportunities. But you know, I wouldn't have too much of a problem with with owning some of the banks here for yield uh, purely because I think there is a little bit of valuation support. If they were all overvalued in this situation, you would you would want to steer clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact that there is a bit of valuation support there, and if um, if the economy is more resilient than what I currently think it is, and, and perhaps what how the market is seeing things, uh, you could get some interesting interesting rallies and interesting moves in the bank. So ANZ would be a good good one to keep an eye on. If it pops up above this resistance line around twenty six bucks, you know that's got the potential to rally to twenty eight twenty nine dollars quite quickly. Um, so that's just something to keep an eye on. But in general, Carol, uh, my view would be the banks are not. Uh, not as compelling as what they might look at look like if you just sort of look at your valuations relative to the price. I think there's the market is right to be cautious on the earnings and and is right to discount the bank share prices in anticipation of weaker than expected earnings. It's a bit of a mouthful, all that, but I don't get what I meant. <laughs> so they, banks look cheap, but they look cheap for a reason, and the market is probably 100%. right. And the, absolutely, and I think with with those consensus. Um, expectations they're usually always a bit too rosy so it's better to heed the market more than the analysts but something that you, speaking with about banks uh, the NAB's chief executive did say recently that mortgage competition has been really hot and I think it's the hottest he's seen in years and that's obviously pressuring the bank's margins which is their bread and butter but I yep. think talking about mortgages there was something that I'm um, noticed in the latest Reserve Bank monthly statement. Uh, it's, it's quite the exciting read. Uh, I don't know whether you've looked oh, through it. It was that's, 70 that's, pages. That's why you're of, reading it, Carol. <laughs> 70 pages of riveting information. But in all it it is a What did you pick read. out? What was your highlight? That was too many. But something about mortgage repayments, because if everyone reads the papers, I think the Australian Sydney Morning Herald, I get news notifications on my phone and I think the last week I've been getting pop-ups saying mortgage payments are rising, uh, house stress, uh, rents are rising, um, even breakdowns by certain areas in Melbourne. But something I did notice in the latest statement was that even though mortgage payments are at a historic high relative to disposable income, the Reserve Bank did note that the stock of personal debt fell substantially in the last 15 years. And so the overall debt servicing burden for households appears to be lower than in 2008. So that could be something uh, to keep in mind and maybe 
also why inflation does sort of still remain sticky despite mortgage repayments being so high. It's that other debts that Australians have have fell substantially. And so that might be offsetting people's larger rising mortgage repayments. It could, it could also explain, you know, if people feel like all their other debts, debts have fallen, they feel like they can take on more mortgage repayments as well. And so that sort of counteracted. But that was something that I've I found very interesting. In the monthly it statement. is interesting, and it flies in the face of a lot of the stuff that you that you're hearing. And and you know, you, yeah. it's devil's in the detail. I mean, it could re, could really just be referring to the consolidation of lots of different higher price debt under a under a mortgage debt umbrella, which comes with a lower interest mm-hmm. rate. So you do that across the board. Obviously, the debt servicing is going to be easier. Uh, but at the end of the day, the average mortgage debt has has grown considerably since that time as well. And now, for the first time. Since back then, we've got mortgage rates that are as high, yet we've got a much much larger stock of mortgages to uh, to, to service. So I still think you know keep an eye on. And, and at the end of the day, whenever you get these economic numbers, end of the day, you go to the stock market and you look at the charts of the companies that are meant to be uh, are meant to be exposed to the consumer. And uh, what we've spoken about previously is that you've almost got two types of consumers these days. You've got the the consumer who doesn't have debt and who has large cash balances and is enjoying these rising interest rates. They're flush with cash. They're actually in, you know, in, in really good shape. And then you've got the indebted households, generally your younger middle class with families. Uh, they're the ones that are that are really struggling. So you're going to see, and this is where it comes down to looking for particular stocks at a stock picking level. You're not looking at sectors. You're not looking at, oh, I'm going to avoid consumer discretionary stocks because uh, higher interest rates. You know, a lot of those those companies will continue to do well. And if the market prices them down really weak, you know, really low on the expectation that they're not going to have much of a, a business because everyone's struggling, then, you know, maybe that's the buying opportunity. So there's there's lots of cross currents when it comes to Thinking about the consumer, thinking about debt, thinking about the the interest burden that they might be might be under. So it's something that I constantly think about because it's easy just to operate by these rules of thumb and uh, look. I'm not going to look at consumer. I'm not going to look at retail stocks because the consumer's cooked. Um, to a large extent, I think that's true. But I think you know when the market decide prices all that in, that's when you can go in and try and look for the look for the mispricings and look for the opportunities there. Yeah. And I think even the Reserve Bank did say, did admit that uh, its interest rate rises are impacting households differently. Definitely households with mortgages are are feeling it a lot more than maybe retirees who can put a lot of their savings in term deposits or whatever. And I think also related to that, the latest unemployment data sort of showed that I think people who are 18 to 25 are disproportionately now becoming unemployed. I think their unemployment figures jumped quite a lot in the latest uh, data. So there's mm. pockets of the Australian population that are maybe doing really well and definitely larger pockets that are doing not so well. Um, something that I also saw in the in the statement on monetary policy was that, and that sort of relates back to my point, was uh, people saved up a lot of money during the pandemic. And even though the savings rate is slowing down, they've still accumulated a lot. And that accumulation is actually still above what it would have been pre-pandemic. And so that also plays a part in offsetting any uh, rate rises from from the Reserve Bank. So it's it's definitely very complicated. I think you said it last week as well that um, it, 
or making all of these macroeconomic judgments is made even more complicated by the pandemic because it was unprecedented. Lots of countries are affected and that uh, obviously had drastic effects on fiscal policy and monetary policy. So we don't really have a lot of historical precedence and it's harder to make forecasts and judgments based on past data because we really don't have any. Absolutely, which is why I'll look at the share price. The share prices have the most amount of information you can have. You've just got to learn to to try to read it and try to work out what those share prices are saying, which is why I always show charts and, and, and look at charts because they do contain a huge amount of information. They're all the buying and selling decisions of people that have genuinely got uh, money and their interests on the line. Um, so I would... I would put more trust in a share price, what the share price is telling me, rather than um, an RBA document, for example. It's just a, it's just an easier way to try to work out what's going on. Yeah. Well, I think also maybe speaking of, of comments, we had a comment or a question from one of our viewers last week. Uh, so I thought maybe I'd read it out. And we definitely yep. encourage everyone to, to send questions. Uh, we, we met some, some of some viewers last week in Melbourne in Windsor Hotel, so Thank you to everyone who came. It was really nice to see them. But one comment uh, was made to me that maybe we could incorporate more questions on this podcast, and we definitely welcome that. And there was one question left by uh, Gavin Purcell, and he said, um, Jen's great content. I didn't really have to read that, but I was, I'm just going to read it. Uh, but here's the actual question. Given the weakness in the Australian dollar, what's your opinion on cashed-up Aussie gold miners? Well, I've, I'm generally uh, long-term bullish on gold. I've got a number of gold miners in the uh, in the client's portfolio, uh, and what a, and I wrote about this this week actually. What a lot of people don't realise is that gold stocks have been pretty much in a bull market for the past year. They bottomed uh, the the ASX uh, gold index bottomed in September last year. Uh, into the April high of this year, it rallied 85% from mm-hmm. those lows. So that's a really you know strong move from a you know, what was a pretty brutal bear market preceding that. So we've had a really big move. We've had this correction that's that's mm-hmm. come back a little bit, and, and now I think it's it's time. It's interesting time to look uh, look at these. So what I might do just quickly is show the uh, the index, the Aussie Gold Stock Index, but obviously. Um, uh, sorry, is, is it Gavin? He's talking about uh, yeah. s- uh, specific stocks. Um, can't really comment on specific stocks, although I will on one of them just because I'm familiar with it. Um, obviously, you know what we talk about here is just general information. Uh, shouldn't be regarded as advice in any way. Um, but I just do want to point out. Well, actually, what we'll do, we'll just I'll point out a few other charts. It's all related to the gold story. So you've yeah. got um, the US dollar gold index. So that clearly uh, responded to the lower inflation number as well, and that's fallen quite sharply. So you could argue here that it's broken out, looked like it was going higher, but as the as the market has started to realise the Fed is probably done and it's mm-hmm. going to be at least on hold for, for now, the impetus for the US dollar has started to roll over and that uh, number that came out earlier this week saw that uh, fall sharply as well. So that's an interesting move by the US dollar, which then supports things like gold and, and commodities in general. So this is the US dollar gold price, uh, broke down here, rallied back into the geopolitical tensions, corrected back to the moving averages and has bounced off there. So that's looking quite nice. Uh, the Aussie dollar gold price, which uh, Gavin was referring to, that is just a 
excellent long-term trend broke out to new all-time highs in in October above three thousand dollars an ounce, uh, and that has just been trending nicely higher for for many years, which is really a reflection of the, in many ways, the economic mismanagement of our country and currency. Uh, and I'm not just saying that. Um, I'm saying that long term. If you look at Aussie dollars, in sorry, the Aussie dollar gold price over the long term, it's apart from this sort of quite lengthy period of uh, correction and inactivity, it's just relentlessly moved higher. And that reflects a strong US dollar gold price and a, and a weak Aussie dollar. Um, so our gold miners are, oops, our gold miners are really enjoying uh, good, good revenue opportunities, which is where the, the question comes from. Um, this is the S&P All Ordinaries Gold Index, so this includes most of the big big gold mining stocks. Um, as I mentioned, this rally from the September 2022 low uh, up to this level here, which was in April 2023, that was an 85% rally. But obviously, it sort of hit resistance at these levels where it's been before and has turned back down. Uh, deeper correction low here, it's moving out of that. You know, my view is that it's going to continue to consolidate, but potentially is starting to find this bottom here after retracing a decent part of this move. And then you're going to see an eventual breakout into higher levels. Uh, probably not this year, but I'd say certainly 2024, I'd be on the lookout for that. Uh, but that's a gold stock index. You've got individual gold stocks. And I point out Silver Lake, uh, firstly, because Gavin mentioned it in the question, uh, and secondly, because I've got it in uh, the portfolio as well. And it's been a disappointing uh, stock, no doubt. Um, but the encouraging thing with Silver Lake is that it has a really strong balance sheet. It's got considerable amounts of cash. It's built up a strategic stake in Red 5. Uh, it's it's um, bought a, um, uh, an asset in Canada that it is doing a lot of drilling work to understand the ore body better. Um, that should uh, turn into a bit of a growth asset for it in the next 12 months or so. Uh, and it's trading quite cheaply. It's given up a lot of its share price over the past couple of years. Uh, and in my view, it looks to be bottoming. Uh, so this might be one worthy of, of doing more homework uh, yourself if you're interested in, in looking at some little gold miners. The negative with Silver Lake is that uh, its my, its current mines uh, are not long life mines, so it's under constant pressure to try to replenish reserves, and and that's why it's invested in the Canadian mine. That's why it's buying stakes in in Red Five. It's trying to allocate its cash into finding more longer life uh, gold mines that will sustain production for for a longer period of time. So that's the drawback. If it if it doesn't allocate that capital correctly, uh, and and basically stuffs it up then you know it's not going to work out as an investment so there are obviously considerable risks with these smaller stocks and that's something mm -hmm. that you should consider um just on the commodity price and the weak us dollar i thought um this is interesting keep an eye on the copper price everyone this has been in a big consolidation period um and it keeps finding support around here and it bounced obviously this is the uh, CPI number, so it's bounced up out of that. Looks like it's trying to sort of break out of this consolidation mm -hmm. range. I mean, at this point, it can still go either way, but a little bit more upside here. Uh, that could be very bullish for copper and suggest that the lows for this correction are in. So keep an eye on the copper price. Mm -hmm. uh, and the last chart I wanted to point out is the Aussie dollar as well. And there's a potential that we might be seeing a bit of a bottom in the Aussie dollar. Um, 
given that the weakness that looks like it's unfolding in the US dollar, uh, that is also something to consider there. Um, very early days, uh, Aussie dollar will depend on global global growth, China, those sorts of things. But if we do continue to see this rise in the Aussie dollar, it might be time to, you know, think about uh, you know a, a, a more bullish interpretation of what the world might look like in 2024. And I'm certainly not. I think I've said before, I don't think we're going into any sort of crash or anything mm-hmm. too drastic. Uh, yeah. I think 2024 will ultimately be a good year for stocks. My shorter term view is that maybe there's another leg down for the market before we sort of can can move on from this bear market. But, you know, we need to look at evidence that um, where you might be wrong. And I'm more than happy to change my mind if I think that evidence is there. And Aussie dollar is always a an interesting uh, little currency to look at because it gives you clues about the global economy and, and how strong it might be. So if it is starts to move higher, then that's something to definitely keep an eye on and keep uh, a consideration for how to think about markets in 2024. And yeah, I'll and I, leave it there, Kirill. Oh, Spoken thank a lot. you. Well, actually, I was going to ask more a little bit about the Australian dollar. If the Reserve Bank feels that it's behind where it should be on taming inflation and then maybe finds itself in a position where the US Fed is pretty much stopped hiking or even cutting rates, but the Reserve Bank feels like it needs to raise rates further what would that do would that move the needle for the for the value of the australian dollar it could do i mean you know that classic all things equal uh it should via the interest rate differentials i mean the aussie cash rate is still well below the u.s cash rate so we're not sort of at that level of even parity yet but just you know it's the it's the changes as well and if the market thinks okay the u.s is done the aussie uh, RBA might still be hiking, then that's a bit of a reason for uh, to be bullish on Aussie dollars. Uh, but you know, there's other cross currents, and and that's yeah. to do with global global growth, China, those sorts of things have an influence on the Aussie dollar as well. Yeah, I'm not uh, a currency yeah. trader, so do not listen yeah. to me. But I look at the chart and I see what the chart's trying to, what patterns it's trying, it's trying to eke out, yeah. and what it's saying, and uh, I just think it's worth worth keeping an eye on there, and especially when you look at gold so gold looks looks pretty good at the moment uh, i just point out the copper price looks pretty good generally when commodities are moving higher the aussie dollar's moving higher as well so we just want to keep an eye on those and and see what that means for 2024 yeah and before we wrap up i actually wanted to to get your thoughts on the on this quote from a from a local fund manager manuel uh, aj dad i'm not sure if you're familiar with him but he um when the U.S. inflation data sort of stoked that big rally, he, he tweeted something that I thought was quite interesting. I wanted just to get your quick thoughts on. He said, the smartest money is the most paranoid within reason. So what do you make of that? Do you agree with that? I thought it was a pretty pretty good philosophy to live by, especially in markets. What Maybe was your in interpretation of it? What do, what, do, <laughs> what do you think he meant by it? I mean, I think, what did he say? The smartest money is the most... Paranoid. Paranoid. Paranoid, as in, um, I better follow this. I better follow this move, or I think he meant uh, skeptical. Skeptical. Yeah. So I didn't see a lot of skepticism in the in the trading. I saw some, and as I pointed out in the Aussie dollar, oh, sorry, in the Aussie market, not a, not every company automatically knee jerk moved up. We saw a lot of interest rate sensitive stocks move up, um, but absolutely, it's right to be skeptical of yeah. one data point, uh, and exactly. it just really pointed to the positioning of the market. And that's why you can't put too much into it. Um, 
the, the market's now overbought. Mm-hmm. Uh, many stocks are overbought. They're due to probably, you know, work off that condition in the same way that we were speaking three weeks ago at the end of October, saying the um, oversold condition needed to be worked off. Uh, so, yeah, it's a bit of a esoteric comment. Um, not sure exactly what he meant, but, yeah, sure. But always be sceptical. Always be sceptical yep. and always consult the share prices. Yes. Well, I think um, I mean, wanted to wrap up there, but... I did want to sort of say again, thanks to everyone who, who came out and we do sort of want to implement more interaction. So if, if you guys do have questions, please do leave a comment or maybe try to contact us through one of our email addresses and we can maybe leave that in the comments below. But I, I did want to say that Christmas is coming up and one of my Christmas wishes is to get this podcast trending up the charts in Australia. So if we could all gather around and make that possible, that would be my wish fulfilled. And ha- and and how does that happen, Kirill? Do people have to press the like button? People have to press the like button. They have to share and comment and leave their questions. Yeah, but I'm no expert. We'll leave that to our capable producer, Campbell. And more than anything, just uh, you know, enjoy your company each week and keep coming back and having a listen. And as Kirill said, if you've uh, got any questions, um, put them in the box and we'll uh, endeavour to get to them. And just to reiterate your point, Kirill, yeah, it was great to see a lot of our readers uh, last last Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Um, got to chat to a whole bunch of bunch of them, and it was really really interesting conversation. It's really nice to see the people that you write to every week. So um, we're looking forward to doing that again next year. Great. Well, with that, we'll see you next week. 